0: The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by PROS employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of PROS or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders.
1: A podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. My name is Jennifer Plummer, and I am your host. And my other host is here today, Sierra. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. And we are really excited to have Ifani Eze. Did I use to pronounce that right? I should have practiced that before. It means king. I remember you saying that. <laughs> Ifani, who is Chief AWS Infrastructure Architect at Deloitte.
0: Happy Welcome. to have you today. Hey,
2: thank you. Uh, you know. Uh, good to see you again, uh, Jenny. A nice meeting you, Sierra. i um, you know, definitely thanks for uh, having me here today.
1: Yeah. So, it. if I and I go way back to the '90s, uh, we were both interns at NASA. Well, was I? I was an intern. Were you an intern, or did you work there?
2: I started as an intern and then became a co-op student uh-huh,
1: and then yeah. worked
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of did the whole. Yeah, you went through the whole process. The
1: evolution. So um, this is at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Um I was at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And finally is at Morgan State. And yep. um, I just remember we used to go to lunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> we used to, because there's lots of buildings, right? There's like so many buildings. So it was kind of like, you know how bus pick kids up to go to school? It was like the carpool that was going to go from building to building and picking up our uh, our lunch crew. Uh, yep. <laughs> and Going around. So good times. Very good times.
2: Yeah. So long ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You're saying our kids are about the age now that we were when we met each other. So Isn't
0: that crazy? Yeah. Oh I my mean- god. I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday and she's like, Oh yeah, and um Zoe's nine. And I'm like, Wait, nine? The last time I remember her, she was like four, and now I'm on the verge of having a teenager, which I mean, I'm gonna say that I don't. I'm not old enough to have a teenager. I'm just gonna put it out there.
1: <laughs> wait, wait till they have degrees, and you're like, oh my god! Not even like high school. But like, oh, I can't. my kid has a degree. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: you know, I, I have one graduate, so uh. <laughs> it's crazy.
1: So yeah, so we're kind of getting into it, but. Um, Ifani, why don't you please uh tell us a little about yourself? How did you come, you know, where did you start and how did you get, you know, what was your journey and how did you get to where you are today?
2: Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, and you know, just kind of as before we as we kinda start, kind of give the you know, standard disclaimer, um, uh, all the views that you hear today are mine and not those of my <laughs> employer uh, <laughs> or my customers. So um just wanna kinda get that out there. Um mm-hmm. You know I think I, I kind of look at my you know my career as has you know as having kind of you know you know blessings all along the way, and really kind of thinking of where I am today. Uh, you know, I grew up in Nigeria, never touched a computer in my life, um and you know watching a movie, saw, hey, computer science, I was like, oh, that looks good." Um, and you know when I came to the United States, decided I want to do you know computer science, as Jenny mentioned, you know went to Morgan State University you know, go bears. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and that's where, I, you know, I got my, uh, my computer science degree. And as Jenny mentioned, you know, I, I met her at, at at NASA Goddard, and I got an internship over there. And even that again was, you know, was a blessing, you know, I applied for the internship, probably over the Christmas break, and I, I was actually rejected. And I was working at another job uh, at, at Johns Hopkins. And I thought I was actually going to keep that job for the summer, and at the last minute, and they were like, "Oh, you know, we can't keep you for the summer." So I, I had nothing to do. so I'm, I was going to go back to my you know I, I used to work at McDonald's, you know before that, so I was actually going to go back trying to try to get my job back at McDonald's, but apparently someone had dropped out, and I lived in Greenbelt, so they reached out to me and said, like, "Hey, you know, you want to start next week?" I was like, "Sure." Uh, so, <laughs> You know, so, so that, you know, so that's really what got is started. Um, and really from there, you know, I got in as a, as a co-op student, I mean, sorry, as an intern, they liked me for the summer, asked me if I wanted to become a co-op student. I said, yes. So really that started my journey at NASA. I, I stayed there till I graduated and then, you know, stayed along with them. And, and that's, that was, so when I started, I kind of, I was more of like a, like a, a programmer and eventually kind of had this little, you know, I kind of manage the computers for this, for this small team. And that's how I got into, that's kind of how my Unix uh, journey started. So from there, um, I went, I uh, joined a company that's no longer around now called Digix. Uh It was a web hosting company. So Digix really invented, you know, managed hosting. And that is, you know, but before that, you know, people would really just kind of, we had co-location. You kind of go put your computer in. You know, they just provide a rack space and, and 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 the area and you know and the networking. You you had to go manage you know kind of work on your computer and all those things. DJX invented uh, manage hosting, so that's where I start. You know, so so I joined them uh, around 2000, just right at you know at the peak of the dot com of the dot com bubble. And there is really where I think I I really got my. uh, I would say my base from a, uh, just to kind of look at things from an enterprise uh, perspective, because we had data centers in, in, on the East Coast, the West Coast, in Japan, in London, and we kind of had to manage all these things. And what that meant was really making sure you had standards. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I dug into you know my Linux roots so, or my Unix roots. So from there, kind of really stayed on that path until I would say it was like maybe five years ago, you know, I, you know, a little bit, I went from, you know, from Linux, some, from Unix, Solaris to Linux. And about five, six years ago, that's when I really realized the power of AWS. I, I'd actually seen it before, probably in 2013, but I guess I'm not smart enough because I, I got my account. I logged in. I looked at it. I was like, what is this Then It makes no sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then left it. So you know, when I kind of finally kind of came back again, my second touch, I was like, wow, this is you know, this is great. I think that it makes sense. You know, doesn't make sense to really kind of have being a data center. Um, and and that's when I wanted to, I decided, hey, let me try to get with uh, with AWS and get on the cloud journey.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Took some training, and and again, I was kind of talking to a, a, an old coworker, and like I said, just blessings. He's like, hey, you know, we're looking to hire. You know, we're looking to hire someone for you know for Linux. And it's all AWS, you know, so I was like, great. So that's how, you know, that's how I joined and really got the start of this position. And I got, I joined, I was the Linux guy, really helped to work on, on the builds for the Linux, all the standards and those kind of things. And then, you know, we, you know, our original architect left and my project manager was like, hey, you know, the way you work, how you, you know, communicate with others, would you like to, you know, you know, take on this role? and you know again i said yes and that's kind of where we, where we are today um and in, in in this in this current role so that's kind of the the whole story from <laughs> from beginning yeah. to now where we yeah are.
1: when when i saw aws in your title that's when i was like oh you know what that makes a lot of sense from what i know now about cloud and from what you were doing back at nasa managing those machines i was like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense before we
0: move on i have two questions for you sure. one I mean, NASA and John Hopkins, those are two very big names. So I'm interested in what job were you
2: doing at John Hopkins? So so actually, Johns Hopkins, I was actually working um, at the, was it, I think it's, I think I'm trying to remember the Applied name. Applied Physics Lab? No, it was actually the Space Telescope Institute. So it was actually like a branch of actually, funny enough, NASA. Ah, okay. <laughs> You were destined to to, to be at NASA. <laughs> yeah, you know, so the group I actually worked with was, and it was tied to the Hubble Space Telescope. So the Hubble would, would, would you know, it's taking all these pictures with all this data. So the the group I worked with at, at, a, at, at, Johns, at Johns Hopkins in that lab, we stored all that data and we stored them on this, you know, these CDs that was like giant CDs. Wow. So our job was to really make sure that the data was available so there' there was archived data, and then there was sort of data that was used on a regular basis so we would have you know so when some, someone made a request, we would get it and if if the if if the data was was more recently used, it would be sort of readily available for them to get if it wasn't we had to go find you know go find this you know this this c d in a big tape and then load it into in into the silo so that was really wow. you know what i you know what I was doing was we looking for the come? request. You know, you know, and 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 getting those things in there, but but again, it was it was at Johns Hopkins, but it was for NASA. <laughs>
1: so, what's the AWS equivalent of that activity? Grabbing that thing from storage <laughs> because someone Yeah, requested. because I'm
3: interested. <laughs> so I am not
0: techie at all. I'm here for the culture, which you will probably hear me say on every episode. So, I'm interested in ex- you explaining what AWS actually is for those who may not know, like me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Sure. So, um, so AWS really, AWS lets, lets you, is, is really giving you, uh, lets, you know, people, businesses, give an opportunity to be able to host websites without, uh, without really a lot of cost. So and let me kind of step back a little bit and, and, and sort of explain, I guess, get a little bit techie, you know, hopefully not too techie. But and, and kind of give at least the way I understand it, right? Is you know, when I got in, you know, in into the you know, my IT career started, everybody works on a computer. So it's kind of like we have now, right? You know, we have when I'm on the laptop now, everything is in this laptop, you know. And and there's really every computer is kind of made up of a three core components. You kind of have your your CPU, that's what that's your that's what you use to compute. You have your memory. That's sort of where you run your applications and you have your, and you kind of, and you have your, sorry, well, your memory, you have your storage where you store things and then you have the network, right? So we have this physical system and where we started was like, I, I was talking about when, when people got on the internet, and wanted to get their data on the internet. They'd had to go buy physical systems and go plug it into a data center, right. To get the speed. So, and, and again, and those were each boxes, right? So that box would contain, would have those three main things your compute, your storage, and then of course you plug in your network. So from there, we sort of went to virtualization. And that was with VMware. That's kind of VMware started that. And with virtualization, we abstracted, you know, instead of now saying, hey, I have this one physical system that I'm running, we now were able to run multiple physical systems on a single hardware so we sort of abstracted away the need to have the physical system so now on my laptop i can run you know one windows system uh, or linux system and both of those two things are running on the same hard on the same physical hardware so that was really the next step and what aws did is really to move even a level higher and not just abstract <laughs> not not just abstract away the, the computer itself but also The data center, and really abstract that away. So what AWS did is to say, if you want to get on the get on the internet, you don't have to go buy a system. You don't have to plug anything into a into a into a data center. All you need is a computer, and now that gets abstracted away, and all those things sort of get put into this nice bundle. So now, if I want to put up a website. I go to AWS and I sign up. Anybody can sign up. And it doesn't and that thing also that they did is they brought the cost down. So I can go sign up for AWS and just launch an instance. That's what they call, you know, their computers. Mm-hmm. That instance now, and then everything is a service. So the instance is is basically called a service, it's called EC2. So that's my computer. But then I need storage. So I have to attach a storage to it. That's also a service. It's called uh, it's called um EC2. EBS, and that's the storage I attach. And then I have my networking that then gets me out to the internet. And I, so I kind of have to put all these things together. So from a from a uh, a customer side, we all we have to do is really focus on, hey, how do I want to put my system together? And AWS actually, so there's still a data center, but AWS handles all that. So, so AWS is building data centers all over the world, have people managing it. You know, they're the ones racking, stacking, but they have very specialized computers to really provide this service. So, so that is really that at a high level. And why would you want to do that? Will be the, will kind of be the next question. It's like I mentioned before, if you think of, say you now, you want to start a business and you say, hey, I want to get on the internet. Well, before you had to go find an internet provider, buy the hardware, do all those things, and if you're not really sure how many users that you might have, you really what couldn't size kind of that or, or yeah. it cost a lot of money. So you have to kind of put money out up front, right? Today, all you have to do is sign up, and you can actually just launch it, launch one instance. You launch that one instance and run. The other thing that it helps, the other thing that also that this actually now enables is that it enables automation. So you can now do things like saying, hey, first of all, I'm starting small. But let's say automat- you know, all of a sudden I get big and I'm getting a lot of traffic. You can add automation to automatically scale your systems. So really AWS enables things like that. Other than that, it enables is that you can actually become a global business because AWS has sites all around the world. So you can say, hey, you know, I want to put something on the East Coast, I want to put something on the West Coast, I want to put something in Japan, in Europe, which also helps you kind of, you know. If you have regulations, you know, for example, in, in Europe, right. you know, you have the regulations saying, hey, you have to keep the data there, so you can actually launch, launch your service and keep it there. So really AWS really enables a lot of things. And that's why you see there's, there's so many startups today, because the, the cost to get in is extremely low. And now you can compete at a global level, and all these things are built on top of AWS.
1: That was fantastic um, yeah. explanation. <laughs> does that does that clear things up for you, Sierra?
0: It does. I have one follow up question though <laughs> sure. how does this now, considering now that the entry to this is at a very low cost where it used to be very expensive to do this, how mm-hmm. has that sort of changed the the landscape of what someone like you does and the consumer now has that changed your world at all as far as the volume of people who are coming into this, does it mean that there's a lot more, I don't know, the word mitigation comes to mind? Is it just like anybody who has any idea can come on here and just launch whatever and it creates problems on the back end? Or is it so like user friendly that like literally anybody who has an idea, you can come in and and do this thing and then you're good to go?
2: Yeah, so uh, I think I'll maybe kind of break that into into two different things, right? So, so, so the one question where you say, "Hey, you know, does that cause trouble for me?" Where, and you know, um, not really. I, I would say to that, uh, and the other point where you're asking, "Can anybody do this?" Um, it really so the barrier. So what they have done is really bring the barriers to entry down a lot. You still obviously kind of need to to use AWS directly, right? But the other thing I the one thing that, that aws kind of started is really uh, a lot of what they call you know saas services or software as a service these are companies that build on top of public clouds like aws to now give you the ability you know if you're not that technical to be able to to spin things up quickly okay. so an example is let's say you want to you know a company like shopify today you know you want to open up a retail store Shopify, you know, you can just go, you know, kind of open up a store by just kind of clicking, up, you know, clicking a few things. You can now all of a sudden accept payments uh, and and do things like that. And and a lot of these and and that's a lot of these um the the you know part of really moving to the cloud. Another thing that that was has been introduced is really uh, application programming interfaces or APIs that allow you to sort of build or put services together right so to accept payments you might have to make a you know an api call to a company like stripe that handles payments right so you kind of have companies who are now specializing to say hey i you know i come to shopify i i quickly can stand up my you know my web store i can accept payments and you can kind of plug things in and it's all your consuming services from a lot of these saas companies right and again most of the, a lot of these saas companies are built on public cloud so like you know again like aws you know azure google cloud um and they're really enabling these new companies to be able to be built and to scale very quickly.
1: And that, and that's what we do, right? So yes. the product I work on is um, a company can call out and get um, calculate their prices in real time, and mm-hmm. it's usually connected to an e-commerce system or something like that. So pros is a SaaS company. We don't use AWS; we are Azure. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um,
1: but that's kind of when you were talking about the evolution of kind of you know how we went from you know. Hosting to to cloud. I mean, that's kind of been the pro story as well. Like the products we work on were originally intended as something that was an application that was, was just installed somewhere, and you had a lot of conversations with the customer about what you know what operating systems we support, you know what databases we support, blah blah blah. And that was a big conversation. Now that we're on the cloud, right? They don't have to worry about all of that. You know, we just say okay. We're installing that for you. You know, you just need to worry about configuring it for your business and that sort of thing. So that's the fun. That's as I say, it, the landscape changes every five years. Yeah. Who knows where we'll be five years from now? Um, but uh,
2: and it, but it's, it's just getting faster, right? So that I mean, I think that's the difference. Is you know, I just feel like it's just so fast now. You yeah. know, I think you know, back in the day, you know, the five-year cycle was kind of what you had. You know, things kind of took a while, mm-hmm. and now things are changing and moving really, really quickly.
1: Do you have predictions on what, what's what's the next big thing?
2: Um. So I think uh, for me, I think, you know, so by, you know, one thing that I'm, you know, that I'm doing more, you know, not in, in my, in, on a professional side, but more really on the, on the personal side, from a technology perspective is really kind of, uh, is really looking at, you know, you know, Bitcoin and central and, and decentralization, right? Mm-hmm. So what we have today is that, you know, we had the internet, internet is open. And anybody could build on the internet right so so the, so you had this open platform anybody could come in and it was a, it's an information network that the internet built or, or that the internet really allowed for where anyone can get to could get on and share the information so today you know we have you know we're talking about the internet now sharing information you know someone in anywhere you know someone in nigeria could could listen to this you know what you know when it gets released Right. Mm-hmm. So so that's a share of information. The one thing and then what happened and, and actually the Internet was decentralized, really was decentralized. Right. Is that anybody can get on and put up a web server. But what happened is that we have a few companies that that really got big. So you have Facebook that, you know, that mm-hmm. dominates, you know, social network. You have, you know, Amazon that dominates shopping. You know, you have Google dominates search. And what they've done is like you have this concentration where they've built on the Internet and really taking that and really kind of centralized things again. So now we went from, hey, I'm, I'm on this decentralized network and now I have these centralized services and that gives them a lot of power, right? And really takes power from us because it's like, hey, you know, Facebook, you know, they say, you know, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. Right. So, you know, so, so Facebook, we, the content, they don't do that. And then we spread and build a network and they sell the ads to people, right? And we don't get any of it, right we generate the, i mean we're the we are the ones that really built Facebook, right? It's all of us together, mm-hmm. but we don't get it we don't get a we don't get a share of that. all the value goes to the equity owners to to people actually own facebook stock or own facebook shares, right so if you want to participate, you have to get into one of these companies now if you you know if it's a private company, you can't even get access to it right so so there's so that's one part of it the other part of it is really. From a censorship perspective, right, is because all these things are now centralized. Anybody can censor you, you know. So you know, you said a ranking on on you know on YouTube, and they'll take you down.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You said you know you said ranking on Facebook, they, they'll take you off. And you know we kind of we've kind of seen the reports you know on, on Facebook where you know they have their special list. So now they can say, oh well, if I say something, I can take you down. But mm-hmm. if this important person says something, oh, it's right. fine, we'll leave them because they you know they they accept it. Mm-hmm. So why, you know, why, can, why is it that Facebook gets to make these decisions for all of right. us, for the whole world, yeah. for the right. users, right? Mm-hmm. So that is what the promise of decentralization brings, is that we can offer these same services, but with no one, contr- with no one controlling it. Mm-hmm. And that is really where, you know, and that's kind of what the revolution that Bitcoin started, is that Bitcoin uh, is, a, is, is, is a blockchain, is built on blockchain technology, which is an open ledger. So Bitcoin right. is built on the internet and just like the internet is open. And the beautiful thing is that anybody, again, anybody can participate in it. The only difference is that the, you know, no one, it cannot get centralized because everyone, so, so you have different parties that actually help to maintain the Bitcoin network. Um, and what I'll say is a lot of times, you know, you know, a lot of people hear Bitcoin, you know, we kind of hear the, you know, all the price and the hype or or the FUD where these people are saying, hey, it's for, you know, it's criminals, it's it's bad or whatnot, right? So that's kind of, that's kind of what people get. But what people don't know is that there are two Bitcoins. There is Bitcoin, the network, and then there's Bitcoin, the asset. Everyone hears about the asset. But the network has three, you know, has, uh, is is kind of comprised of 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 a, of a few components you have the the bitcoin miners
3: mm-hmm.
2: these are the you know the bitcoin miners people have to like you know get these computers that that try to guess you know some number so that they can actually um secure the secure the blockchain and mm-hmm. how the blockchain works is that you know every on on at least on the bitcoin network uh specifically is about every ten minutes a block is created and and all a block is is just a list of all the transactions that have happened,
3: mm-hmm. and a
2: transaction is really just uh, is is a well the blockchain Bitcoin is a the network is just a ledger that that tracks who owns what and and what they're tracking is really who owns a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So if I own a Bitcoin, it's it's just tracking that. If you know you know you own three Bitcoins and that kind of thing, and when we kind of move that value around, so if I you know if I give you a piece of Bitcoin, you give me something. Is just tracking to say, hey, I know where I know where all the Bitcoin is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and every and about every ten minutes, a new block of all the transactions that happen gets created, and that's what and 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 that's really what the miners are are really working to secure that because you want to make sure that nobody you know because it's this it, it really is immutable once it's written it cannot be changed right and what you don't want is you don't want someone to be able to come sort of come out and because it's open. You don't want someone to sort of attack the network right right and as more as all, so these miners the more of them that we have that are out there guessing and are decentralized it helps the network because it just means that nobody can you know nobody can come and take over like 51 percent of it so that's right. what the miners are here to do
1: and this is just things people are doing in their free time or there people employed that are mining
2: so mining you know so bitcoin is now almost like everything else bitcoin has become sort of big business right so when when bitcoin started you could mine Bitcoin on your laptop, on your computer. Mm-hmm. And of course, nobody knew about it. So it was a few people. Obviously, as Bitcoin, as the network has grown and Bitcoin has grown, you now have actually have, there's a there's really a lot of public companies. So now you have small people that can mine, but it's kind of hard for you to actually win the reward, which is actually, so when, you know, every time a, a block is created, you actually get a reward, you know, whoever like guesses it first, gets the reward. of in.
1: You know what this reminds me of? Did you read Ready Player One?
2: I didn't read it but I saw the movie.
1: <laughs> so the premise is right that this tech guy dies but he there's this network of games like this virtual world and he's mm-hmm. left these clues for like a big prize and part of the storyline is that individuals can do it but these big companies are looking you know are are looking in there so that they can get the reward so they can control the thing. Sorry. That was my segment. Ah,
2: Interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know so and but but I, I think so so even though you have these big companies today that can actually they're actually mining it, the you know, I guess really the, the good news is that you know they kind of compete with each other. And actually the good news is even these big miners really don't even control the network. So their job is really to to solve the puzzle that the network generates and then really produce a block, right? Mm-hmm you have another set of people who are the users and they these users you we uh, they run like a, a a node a bitcoin node the software that actually sort of um finalizes the transactions or actually or, or they actually maintain the record mm-hmm. right okay. so 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 the bitcoin so to the so the bitcoin miners what they do is to say hey i'm going to solve this problem And I'm going to now put all these transactions in and attach it to the, you know, to the chain. And that's why, and again, I think they're called blockchain. So you create a block, you attach Mm -hmm. it to a chain. So think of a blockchain as, you know, you have a a chain link and every 10 minutes, a new link, is added uh to it. Right. And it's going to get added forever. So you have this record starting from the first block that was mined into forever. So the so so the miners generate the blocks that attach it and all the transactions that are in it. The nodes actually validate those transactions to say, hey, these are you know these transactions are good and they and they can decide what blocks, you know, what chain to follow. Because mm-hmm. Bitcoin itself, again, it's open, the software is open source. Anybody can say, I'm gonna take this software and change it, they'll do whatever, and start their own and really fork and create a fork of the chain. Actually, gotcha. and this actually happened in 2017, where there was a you know they became an argument because everyone was saying hey Bitcoin is slow, you know it can only do about seven transactions per second,
3: uh-huh. and they
2: were saying hey if you look at the white paper, you know uh, Satoshi Nakamoto wanted it to be a peer-to-peer payment network. Uh-huh. Clearly you can't make payments globally, right? If it's just seven transactions per second. Right. <laughs> so they, they, they kind of came a, you know, an argument between saying in between, it kind of formed two big camps saying, you know, one camp said, hey, let's increase the size of the block
3: uh-huh. so that we
2: can f- fit more transactions into it. And another group said, hey, we want to make sure that to maintain the decentralization of this network. And that is again, for the node, for the people that actually run the nodes, we, want the, we don't want the blocks to be too big, because if the blocks are too big, then you cannot run a node on a laptop. So the right. miners need to have this heavy equipment that can really generate those blocks. And, and that's what kind of helps the security. The software, the, the node operators or the users want to be able to run it on as small as computer as possible. Because again, remember, this is going to go on forever. And if your blocks are too big, what you get is, I cannot run a node on my laptop because I, I don't have enough storage for that. All right. And during that fight, all the big companies and and it, so this is what you this is kind of what would have happened on the internet is all the big companies, the coin bases of the world, said, "Hey, we want the bigger blocks."
0: Mm-hmm. Of course,
2: <laughs> the users who are the node operators all said no, and yeah. the users won. So we oh, actually saw at that time that you know these individual users who are all over the place who are running nodes actually beat the big guys,
0: which is almost unheard of nowadays. I mean. You know, as you were talking about Google, Facebook and Amazon, it's like they make the rules. You know, it's right. the, the users don't have much power
2: and it's yep. just changed the landscape so much. That's, yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah, And that's really the promise, right, of, of Bitcoin is that this is decentralized and nobody can re- really has the, you know, you can't have one company that kind of has the power to mm-hmm. now just arbitrarily change things. And and you know and 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 decipher people or, or those kind of things, so that's what we have today. Is you know we kind of have the you know we kind of have you know Bitcoin. There's other cryptos, and really what, what we're hoping people are now going to build applications on top of these blockchains to replace these centralized services that we have. Mm-hmm. So um, even interestingly, one ally that actually Bitcoin has is actually Jack Dorsey, you know the you know the CEO of Twitter. He's a, he's actually working. To try to you know to try to actually create a decentralized Twitter, oh, because again today Twitter can you know you can get censored on Twitter, right? Because again they own the platform and and mm-hmm. and, they, and they they you know they can decide who, whoever they want to want to deplatform. So if if we now kind of get these applications that say hey I can get Twitter in a decentralized form, then we can just come in and you know get our users. The other thing, another thing, another thing that also to remember is that like you can't actually easily move right? So if, if you if you want to leave Twitter, you don't own your users right you mm-hmm. kind of have to try to get them over and and again, that's one of the promises of, of 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 decentralization and blockchain is that hey when when these services are built, I own my data I own my information I own my user and I can move mm-hmm. and they can come with me and I can and and, and the, the really the, the I guess the, the Holy Grail is I own all these things and I can move anywhere I want.
1: Okay, so that means that Facebook or Twitter, if it's decentralized, can't use my data for whatever the the ads or the whatever is going on. Is that the advantage?
2: Correct. So you would. So the, the the really, it's gonna be that you own your data, right? And you get to decide how they how they can use it. Uh-huh. Um. So what you and and the way and I will say how that's kind of playing out a little bit today is is in you know. One thing that probably everyone has heard of is NFTs, um the non-fungible tokens.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So Bitcoin is a fungible token. So one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin, right? So if I have a Bitcoin, I can send it to you. You can send it to me. But it has, we know it has a dot. There's a dollar value to it. Right. But it's, it's not unique, right? What an NFT is is saying, hey, you know, and what you see, you, see, you can see some of these pictures, right? Is a digital representation that is on the blockchain and saying, hey, I own it and I mm-hmm. own this, you know, this image on and this particular thing on the block itself. It's almost like think of a hard drive where, you know, if you, you know, when you have a file on a hard drive, there's a spot on that hard drive where you know it is. Any, now, as long as you're on, on the network, anybody, you know, you know, some people go, you know, you can prove that you own that token. Uh-huh. Right. No one else owns the token. If anybody wants to use that token, it's yours. No one can use it now. You can, you can, I can send it to you. I can give it to somebody, but nobody can say, "Hey, I own it," because uh-huh. that's authentic, You know, you've authenticated. You can authenticate on network that you own that.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Um. And and one way to I guess an analogy into the real world that I heard someone use is sort of like he kind of use analogy of of the Mona Lisa, right? The Mona Lisa anybody can go take a picture of it. Anybody can paint it, right? Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's not the real thing, right? There's a Mona Lisa that has been authenticated. So even though you have millions of Mona Lisas all over the world, mm-hmm. the one that's authenticated it's is the Lisa. most valuable. Yeah. And whoever right. owns that owns a Mona Lisa. Everyone else just owns a copy. Mm-hmm. So, that's what, so that's what non-fungible tokens mean is, hey, I have this item is mine
3: mm-hmm. and I
2: can actually prove that it's mine and if you want to use it, you have to get my permission to use it. So, again, it's we. You know, I, I have all this information. The information I own it, and I get to decide who can use it, how they can use it, and some of those kind of things. And and a way to kind of see that today in Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, you hold it. You know, Bitcoin is a digital asset that you can hold on a you know in a digital wallet, and any wallet. I can hold in any wallet Mm -hmm. so I can join Coinbase and hold my Bitcoin there. If Bitcoin, if, if Coinbase doesn't treat me well, I can just take my Bitcoin off of Coinbase and take it to another service. If I say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't even want any service. Um, you know, I don't like any of these services. I don't want it to be centralized. I can Mm -hmm. actually take the Bitcoin and get my own wallet and put in it where I hold it. It's not on anybody else's service.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So I have, total control of my Bitcoin. And if I don't like what someone is doing, I get to take my Bitcoin, you know, as they take a basketball and go home, I can take my Bitcoin and go home <laughs> and now hold it myself.
1: Is that the equivalent of storing it under your mattress?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it is equivalent of storing it under your mattress, but it's better, right? Because it's digital. Yeah. And, and, and that's the beautiful thing of it, right? Is that once I hold it, no one else, no one has access to it. Right.
1: No one can jump in your window and
2: and steal it from under my mattress. (laughs) That's
0: That's such an interesting um, concept where I, you know, I spend as much time as anybody else on social media and a lot of like content creators, Mm -hmm. they have such a hard time. I don't know if licensing is the best word to use, but it's like, I created this thing, I put it out on the internet and then sort of anybody can go and like strip your name off of it and go use it, monetize it. And then you really kind of depend on users or the people who follow you to say, hey, that's not your original work. This person should be credited. And so I think this decentralization will give people who are creating their own things to say, hey, this is mine. You can't take it. You can't use it for whatever you want. You need my permission. Um, it's also like a big thing in the music industry. You know, some people who these record companies have held on to their, like owning your masters is such a huge thing because yep. you create, you do all this work to create these things. But if somebody else owns it, you know, you can't do anything about it. So that's an interesting, you know, way the evolution, as you say, the evolution of this this tech world. That's amazing.
2: And I think definitely that path you actually what you what you kind of talked about right is it kind of is it kind of describes this again this centralization problem right so today just using your creator's example you have to, you know you basically as a creator you do the, you do all the work but the way the system is built today you kind of have to almost go to a centralized party right to kind of help build your audience right and then they kind of get to decide what yeah. okay, i'm going to give you this i'm not going to give you that right so so as an example you could go now i start a youtube channel and i build it up and i work hard and i get a million users or whatever and then one day you say the wrong thing and they turn you off yes there's nothing you can do about it and li- actually this actually happened last week there's, there's, there's this guy Anthony pompliano he's a, 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 he's, a, a he's an investor and, and a bitcoin guy he's actually the guy that I think it was his video last year that really got me going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Uh, so shout out to Pump. Um, but, you know, he's, all, he's really big into financial education. And he kind of started a show, what he called, you know, the, the best business show on the, or something like that. And he had a guest on. And while he was recording the show, he, and he was live, they turned him off, just gone. He got an email mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, you violated our policies and we're going to take you off. And they sent him an email saying, hey, and by the way, you cannot create any more channels on YouTube.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: No reason, nothing. Yeah. Luckily, he has a big following on Twitter. So he goes and posts it on Twitter. And four hours later, they finally bring him back online. Mm-hmm. They don't tell him why. What actually, you know, like, why did you, and they said, they told him, oh, somebody, one of our moderators, decided <laughs> that something that was said on a financial right. program, talking about Bitcoin, validate some policy and he just got turned off so what as you, so now we're going to these platforms to monetize us and these guys can turn us off the other thing too is also we depend on them to pay us right you know it's i got to sell my ads i got to do you know so there's this model again that where you're selling ads to mm-hmm. to monetize if you think about a token world and really what people can do and you see some people doing it now is you can actually now just build your own audience by giving them tokens. So, for example, you know, I one of the one of the the apps I use uh for you know for crypto trading is called Voyage, and and they and they own a, a token. Mm-hmm. And when you own that token, they can say, hey, when you do something, I'm going to give you discounts. I'm going to give you this or that. As a creator, you can now start doing those kind of things. So at the very at the very least, what you can do is when you create, like if you create that piece of art or you create some content, you can say, hey, I'm going to sell it to you. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if if you sell it in the future, I can, I'm going to also get a, some kind of royalty from it. And because mm-hmm. it's on the blockchain, you're always going to get your, there's no one can change it because mm-hmm. it's, it's actually programmed right. in the blockchain. Nobody can, can nobody can change it. I want to sell this. And every time, you know, and, and every time it gets resold, I want to get 10% of it. So if you think about it, someone today, someone makes a painting. Yeah. Sells it for like maybe, you know, $5,000 and then it goes and then it gets big and everyone's mm-hmm. going to make money. But the creator doesn't 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 get to monetize it. Yeah. As an artist, you can tell you can say, hey, I want to create a to- I want to create tokens for my fans, and say, hey, I want to release a song, and if you own my token, I'll give you maybe first access to it, or I'll, or, mm-hmm. or there's all the things that you can do to it. So you can actually now have people sort of, you know, kind of have this social movement where you create, where you have your own fans,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: have these tokens, and you can actually deal, you know, you know, in business, right? You always want to yeah. kind of. You always want to kind of be direct with your customers. You don't want to kind of go through people, right? Which is what we kind of do now is yeah. we're going through Twitter, we're going to YouTube. You can now have a direct relationship through your token with your you know with your fans. Yeah. So the, the referencing is kind
1: of built in right. in yep. the system. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: cool. So so that's where we're kind of going for creators. And, and again, I think that's really the you know the dream of, of decentralization: of hey, we can now start owning things. And, and just one more thing to kind of point out is. Or to, or to kind of reference is the internet when we you know internet is made up of many protocols. So like when you know we're now on the on the web, that's an HTTP HTTPS protocol, and when we send email, it's SMTP protocol. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is just a protocol, but on the internet, these companies again took advantage of these free protocols and built these services and and basically got all the value.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: With these crypto networks, we actually get to own a piece of the network. So I I told you there were two, there's two Bitcoins. There's a Bitcoin, the network. That's where people are going to build on and and all the technical part of it. And then Mm -hmm. there's Bitcoin, the asset. Mm -hmm. And Bitcoin is basically owning a a piece of Bitcoin is a way for you to actually own a piece of the network. So as a network grows, anyone that has a piece of Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. that value accrues Mm -hmm. to the people that own it. So yes, you can build a business on, on Bitcoin and be okay. But as this network grows, just like, just like as the internet has been growing, you're now basically as an owner. So now you have to kind of almost have an equity stake in the network. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's a way for you to say, hey, I don't, I, don't, I don't have to bet on this company or bet on this one. I just think, hey, let me go bet on Bitcoin and just get yeah. a piece of that. And as it yeah. grows and the network effect you know, grows, the price is going to go up. And, and you benefit from, from just owning a piece of that network.
0: I feel, I feel like now I cool. need to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And now I'm interested in how, you know, are these mega conglomerates, how they fare in the future as this, you know, becomes more popular. So, you know, will Facebook no longer be the Facebook that
2: we know it as, you know? Yeah. And you see them too now trying to sort of get into it. So I don't know if, you know, you heard, you know, is not when I want to get into crypto, you know, they wanted to make their own coin. Um, you know, you have, you know, PayPal.
3: Mm-hmm. Right?
2: PayPal, you can now buy Bitcoin on PayPal. Visa. Oh, MasterCard. That. They're getting into it. So wow. They, I didn't they, know that. So, so they, see, you know, they can see it coming and they have to they have to basically get you know, you know it's like one of those things, you know, the you know, the train has left the station and you got to get on. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not, you know, it's not coming back. And Bitcoin where it is today, with where it's going, these you know these crypto networks are going to disrupt a lot of decentralized businesses and just like aws that we talked about we have all these new companies that were built and different business models that were created these crypto networks are going to do the same mm-hmm. because they there's all these things that you can now do and you're going to have new business models and they're going to disrupt a lot of all these old uh, old businesses and and business models so people you know so the smart businesses have to get on board right and uh, you know the guy that talks about it you know some people say oh bitcoin is a bubble Mm -hmm. and i there's a there's a a guy named michael saylor he's a c you know he's a ceo of microstrategy and and the way in what the way he describes bitcoin is he says bitcoin cannot be a bubble it's like saying that electricity is a bubble right right (laughs) it's a commodity it's it just is right Mm -hmm. it's it's a new technology you know when when they invented electricity they'll you know it's not a bubble because it's a new technology that improves your life. It's the same thing as Bitcoin. Is There's no bubble. It's a network. It's technology. And people are going to adopt it just because it's better.
3: Mm-hmm, you know, right. Today,
2: the application that it has is, hey, I can store my value here, and it's better than gold. So <laughs> you know, for, for thousands of years, if you wanted to store your value, you want to buy gold. Right. You know, you don't want to hold, you don't want to save your money in, in, in dollars or whatever currency you are in because it's going to get devalued over time. And, but if you start it in gold, you maintain your purchasing power. That's what Bitcoin is today. That's the base level of Bitcoin is, hey, I want to store my, I want to store my 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 savings in Bitcoin. And that's where I'm going to store my value.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And as adoption continues and people build on it, that's, this is a better form because it's digital. Right. And because yeah. it's digital, is just better because again, digital is always better, right? You know, everything that we've had, once it goes digital, it's better and we use it more.
1: So what do you recommend people learn more about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies?
2: Um, again, I reference Michael Saylor. Um, I mm-hmm. think uh, Michael Saylor says Bitcoin is hope mm-hmm. and he actually owns the, the, the hope domain. So hope.com hope.com. So, okay. So if you go to hope.com um, he has a lot of, um, he has a lot of uh, kind of material videos and and things on -hmm. there and maybe I'll, you know, I'll plug myself. You know, I, you know, I kind of this year I started writing um, on just kind of investing uh, in in general. And, you know, one thing, obviously I'm going, trying to go down and understand Bitcoin more and and hopefully educate, you know, my friends and family. So I, I, I'm now writing a blog on medium. So, and it's ifanyeze.medium.com and I have, I think so far I have like two articles on, you know, one on crypto in general and another one on Bitcoin specifically. So
1: we'll put that in the show notes too. I think you gave yes. us the link. So we'll link that in the show notes.
2: Yes.
0: This is so interesting. Not, a, not. So, I mean, I've of course heard of Bitcoin, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need to read into that, but it looks like it's going to change my life in the future. So <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I need to I, start
0: educating myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it does need a story of how it impacts the everyday person. I think that's kind of what people need to do to latch on to kind of get an understanding of what it is. Cause it kind of was like this ambiguous thing and like you said, if I like people are mining for it and that's what they like to do in their free time. It's kinda like, well, I don't really want to do that, (laughs) you know.
0: Exactly. That's that's Mm
1: -hmm. not what work. But yeah, kind of relating that story back to how's that going to affect me. You know, I use Facebook or, you know, I, you know, I have you know, I would like to build equity or how what's the best way for me to invest for the future. So that does I think that's what I need to know to be able to kind of relate to what Bitcoin is.
2: And and to that, right? What I would say is how do you know people, you know, a lot of times right in techno you know, technology, you know, a lot of times people in technology can't quite explain things to people, right? Or no. or or like you <laughs> talked about now, just how do I relate it to you? right Yeah. <laughs> and, and again i i kind of go back again to you know to michael saylor or Anthony pompliano because they they tried to really explain those things and the one the one way that that uh that michael saylor explains bitcoin is he says bitcoin is a bank it's a bank account mm-hmm. right where you save you know you you work hard you want to save your money right and and in, and really you're saving your money for for future right and what you don't you know so so the first thing to start is to say hey i can, you know how does it relate to everyday people don't spend all your first of all you know you make a dollar don't spend the whole dollar definitely don't go spend a dollar 10 by going <laughs> to death, right um you know there ha- you have to have some sort of thing, you know you have to actually have save something Mm-hmm. And this actually one article, you know, so, you know, I'm going to kind of talk about it, actually, this article I'm, I w- I want to write that kind of talks about the savings is yeah. if you actually, if you save 10%, right, of your money pre tax, and, and and this is, you know, and this is where percentages are nice, because it doesn't matter how much you make. But for every dollar that you make, you save 10% of it for 30 years, and just kind of put it in the market, you know, so the market. Over my last 30 years has kind of done around 12% of the m Had you just, you know, so 30 years ago, you saved 10% of everything that you made, 30 years later, you'll actually have about 94% of all the money that you made. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. All the money you made, you have about 94% of it by just by saving 10%. If you then said, okay, after, you know, obviously we all gotta pay taxes, right? So, you know, we earn one thing, we gotta pay a tax. We gotta pay a tax, man. So so, so you want to invest first of all, hey, invest some pre-tax. That's 10%. When you get your after tax, when you get when you, you know, when you then get your check, take five percent of that.
3: Mm-hmm. And again,
2: put it again, the same investment, just put it there, 12%. You would end up with about 120% of all the money that you worked for those past 30 years. And now I you right, you didn't know, tell
0: me this <laughs>
2: 25 20 years ago. You know, I, I just, you know, it's one of those things. I just you know, I just learned, you know, I think I I, I heard someone Talking about and the way I actually came, up, you know, looked at this was I heard a I heard someone talk about, hey, you know, if you make if you make $10, a ten thousand dollars, you know, a month for fifty years, you will have six million dollars. And I was like, wow, that doesn't seem like a lot. You know, I, I, in my head, I was like, ten thousand a month, six million, mm-hmm. it didn't seem like a lot. And I did the math. I was like, oh, that's it. That's when I then said, let me just do the math. And I
0: was mm-hmm. like, wow,
2: this kind of blew my mind. <laughs> so the first thing is to say, I have to save money right so so that's number one and once you know i cannot spend my whole dollar i have to i have to save money the question then becomes where do i save it right right exactly so and this is where now is it comes into just the regular person you can you know bitcoin again the bitcoin network is a bank where you put where you put your where you put your savings Uh bitcoin the asset is property and actually, it's actually defined by as property by the IRS. <laughs> uh, so, so, so now real estate is property. There's all kinds of property, mm-hmm. but Bitcoin is the only property that is easily accessible by anyone. Right. The other thing that Bitcoin does is Bitcoin is a is the only property that you can hold yourself, and nobody can take it from you. So think of your you know think of your cash. If I give you one dollar now uh-huh you own it you can you if you go hide it I can't find it right the same now again, like you said someone can break into your ass and take your cash uh-huh. but the bad part about the cash or the gold is that you know well in the cash it's gonna lose value over time right that's how, that, that's just how the system works if you know uh-huh. if you go look at you know what a dollar could buy you you know you know back in in the seventies you could have bought a mercedes Benz for like five thousand dollars <sighs> right today uh-huh. you spend a hundred thousand right shows you that you know the value of your money is going this way mm-hmm. if you had invested in the, in the s p 500 you see that the chart goes that way so it's going up so or you can or you want to go buy gold now what bitcoin does is that bitcoin anybody can buy bitcoin i can now decide i want to custody myself where i'm holding it myself if i wanted to buy stocks it has to to hold in the brokerage right or somewhere some centralized place right and with bitcoin you can buy as little as 50 cents of bitcoin so there's an app called strike that allows mm-hmm. you to buy 50 cents of bitcoin mm-hmm. and a lot of these apps will allow you to buy 10 dollars of bitcoin so it's it really is accessible to anybody so this is a way for you to actually get a, get property yeah save your money and if you if you don't if you can leave it in, in a centralized place but if you say hey you know i don't want anyone to have access to this i want to keep this to myself you can hold you can custody it yourself and mm-hmm. nobody can take it from you you know, and when you custody yourself, you kind of have, you know, there's this, you know, that's where the te- kind of technical part comes, the seed phrase that you kind of have to remember.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But as long as you remember that seed phrase, you have that Bitcoin. I can I can get up today, go to London,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and as long as I remember that seed phrase, I can have access to my money. Ah. If I had a bunch of gold, I can't <laughs> I write. that with. Me. So if you, <laughs> you, can, you can't take it, you know, you get to the airport, was <laughs> like, hey, this gold, someone can take it from you, right? right? But if you have that seed phrase in your head, Nobody can take it from you. You just need in an internet access to get it. And that's pro- and, and then you hold this property. And mm-hmm. this property over the past 10 years has grown at approximately 200% a year. Obviously, it's probably not going to do it going forward, but it's still growing. But even if it grows at, again, I give you an example of 12%. That's the stock market. And just today, Bitcoin, the adoption of Bitcoin is is like the fastest growing technology ever. So the internet in the 90s was growing at... Six, today, Bitcoin is growing at 113%. That's almost double the internet.
1: Can you say that again? So, Sorry, I missed <laughs> the first sentence. Yeah,
2: me too. <laughs> <laughs> so around 1995, uh-huh. or, you know, the internet was growing mm-hmm. at 65% annually. Okay. That's the growth rate. And I don't remember now, I don't remember exactly how many users it had then. So today, the... Bitcoin or crypto market is growing at 112. percent So, and we we have 150 we have, there's mm-hmm. 150 million people. So you're mm-hmm. looking at at that growth rate. The adoption is going to get to a billion people around by 2024, 2025. And even if the growth rate drops to half, you're looking at two, three billion people by 2030. Yeah. So, so if if that as long, again as long as that adoption continues. If you hold this property, just like had you bought, you know, again, kind of related back for people to understand, you know, had you bought Amazon Mm
3: -hmm. back
2: then and kind of held it as Amazon grew, all that value got accrued to the people that own Amazon stock.
0: I wouldn't even be talking to you right now. Working at (laughs) Pro's if I would have bought some stock in Amazon. I'd be like, what? You want me to work? No.
2: (laughs) So that's it, right? Is hey, make a bet on on this network, on the adoption,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and own a piece of the technology of the network, and just, yeah. and, just save. And, and, and you can save, and anybody, and the thing again is anybody can save. It doesn't matter, you know, if you you know your minimum wage, you make a, a million dollars, just get a percent because you can buy fifty cents. So that's a way for you to actually get some property that mm-hmm. nobody can take from you. So so that's how I was I would relate it to, you know, just to everyday regular people and to look at it. And 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 also to kind of look at it from a if you think about it, you know, this is supposed to be a cultural show and just talking about, you know, you know, oh my black God,
0: people. you're probably about to jump right what I was gonna say.
2: Go ahead. <laughs> so so there, there's a guy uh named Isaiah Jackson. Um mm-hmm. I think he wrote a book called Bitcoin for Black People. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, if you if you just go back and think just historically, um where we haven't had access to a lot of things Mm -hmm. Um, and this is another thing that that bitcoin offers is anybody can buy bitcoin right right? at any amount Mm -hmm. globally
1: yeah Yeah. and that's what i was going to say is kind of like this is a new thing and new things are kind of hard to understand It's, it's got a technology component which also gives people apprehension um but it at the rate, it's growing, you know, based on what you're saying, it definitely behooves everyone to really um, study it, learn it, because this sounds like a new opportunity. Uh, So,
0: yeah, I know, I'm going
1: to do some more.
0: Yes, I mean, mean, it's so you talk about access (laughs) and how one, well, let's talk about access first, because Mm -hmm. you have in the black culture there hasn't been much generational wealth passed down right so we're always starting from scratch you know from mm-hmm. scratch or mm-hmm. even behind most of the oh, time you know yeah. and it's it is scary talking about technology and it always seems like unfortunately we are the last to know you know we we don't get on the train until it's almost run off the track and then we're still again trying to catch up. Right. And so I think we need more black people talking about this. I'm very interested in that book because I want to buy it for myself and all of my friends and family. Mm -hmm. It's having access to the information, taking the time to study and Mm -hmm. really learn. So while we're on this topic,
1: let's, let's kind of segue into, um, you know, what should companies, I think people talk a lot about biases and that, that you know, we're, we're getting a lot of acknowledgement now that, you know, everybody doesn't have the same advantage. People have privilege, which is a great conversation. But, you know, let's take it into kind of what are the actions, you know, what if I what are some of the things you think companies should be doing to um, bring more black people into technology uh, and kind of have some equity into, you know, who's working for them?
2: Yeah, so, again, I think at the end of the day, right, it comes down to opportunity, right? There's, you know, intelligences everywhere, right? Um, you know, I was I grew up in Nigeria, and never touched a computer. um, And I am here today, I'm just blessed, right, and fortunate to have had the opportunity to apply for an internship that was specifically for you know for 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 HBCUs, that's how I got to NASA, and that was kind of the start of you know of the journey that led me to where I am today. So it comes, it says it's opportunity, right? And when we talk about changes and what technology does, our world technology changes our world. It's and when it changes the world, there's wealth. That gets created, right? Mm-hmm. So think of electricity, think of cars, think of oil, all those things. But who had, you know, who actually had that capital, right? You know, we, we if you think of the history of the of this country, you know, we couldn't, you know, we started off as slaves, we couldn't mm-hmm. own anything, you mm-hmm. know. We got our freedoms, you know. There was Reconstruction, and then you know that you know they didn't like that, so you know Jim Crow laws came in, right? Right. And and uh, along the way, we just never had that access. And what the internet did, right, was the internet was a new paradigm that that allowed, again, for people to to we generate a lot of value, a lot of wealth. And who got that wealth, right? It was really again, we talked about how it got accrued to equity owners. And I think technology did a great job because a lot of people got stock options, right? If you worked at Amazon, you worked at Google, um, you got stock options and people got rich.
3: Uh-huh
2: but not as many of us and that was <laughs> right so that's the problem right is that there was this opportunity but the, but the, the the barriers to entry right were a little high right you had to know computer science you had to know programming you, you know you had to have money to buy a computer right uh-huh. you, you know costs has come down a lot but when it started we didn't have all this thing you know who knew these things right uh-huh. so so it comes to access so what can companies do companies just have to you know make sure that you you have you provide access to people um, or or really have that outreach, you know, to people. And it's not just, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's be about it and how you're going to be about it is very simple. Uh, Charlie Munger has a saying that says, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. Uh-huh. So, you know, you know, last year, a lot of people were talking about, oh, you know, we need to reach out. We didn't know, you know, there's all this, you know, everybody now has, you know, these programs. Right. But for it to be effective we have to tie it to compensation we have right. to tie it to executives
3: uh-huh. so
2: if you so that's why because because if we want people to again participate we if, if i if i'm not in the room i can't participate right you know you can't be like hey i'm gonna close the door lock it you're uh-huh. outside and you go well you know you missed it right or oh, uh-huh. it's your fault so the way to get us in is to say our executives, if you, you know, set goals, you know, I want to have 10%, you know, I want to have 10% of my engineers should be black. Mm -hmm. Well, who's the engineering manager? Who's the hiring manager? Mm -hmm. All the way up, tie the incentive to say, Hey, this is the goal. Do you agree to it? Yeah. All right. Go do what you have to do Mm
3: -hmm.
1: to get to
2: that goal. And if you don't make it, you're going to lose money. Yeah. Right. Because without that, people can talk. And then when you talk, what do they say? It's like, well, you know, we just doesn't have the pipeline. I just can't excuses. find people, you know, yeah. right. There's, you're going to have all sorts of excuses. Uh-huh. But once you tie it to that, once you actually put those things and, and make sure that people, there's an incentive for them to do it. You know, everybody wants to make more money, right? And nobody wants to lose money. So, so, that, so that, that's what I'll say. And you can kind of see this today with, um, you know, again, some companies are doing it. You know, I'm not a big uh, investment bank fan, but, uh, <laughs> but, but last year, Goldman Sachs actually Mm -hmm. did this. Goldman Sachs said, hey, if you're going to, you know, if I'm going to be someone that's going to lead your IPO, you must have at least one female on your board.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah.
2: And I Mm -hmm. think in August or July, they opted to two. Wow. Now I'm sure Goldman Sachs, you know, the other banks didn't follow. Mm -hmm. Right. So Goldman Sachs paid up, you know, you know, Goldman Sachs actually paid a price. I'm sure they paid a price uh-huh. for taking that stand and saying, I'm gonna give up business
3: uh-huh.
2: unless you have this. And of course, again, not that people didn't follow them. But actually, just last month, the Nasdaq actually got a rule passed and actually got it passed by the SEC to say, hey, if you're gonna list on the Nasdaq, you have to have at least one, you know, one minority or woman, uh-huh. right, uh-huh. on the board. So that's just what we need you know we just need more companies to take stands and you say have skin in the game yeah you gotta and mm-hmm. say this is what we want and mm-hmm. if we don't you know let's set the goals and if they if we don't make the goals you're gonna fill it in your pocket yes yeah,
1: yeah.
2: because without that we can talk we can have programs but if it gets hard yeah, just it's on, just
1: right. It's, yeah, yeah. Right. It's just way easier for them to be like, well, it just kind of didn't happen. Yeah. So we'll try again next year, you know, sort <laughs> of thing. <laughs> and
2: that's and that's human nature, right? So yeah. it's not right, it's it's human nature, right? It's it's um we're comfortable with with what we know. We're comfortable with people that we know, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, this program you, you're starting, you know, you kind of reached out to me because you knew me, right? So you know we you know, and that's how you know companies are people, right mm-hmm. companies right. are not it's made up of people,
3: mm-hmm. and if a lot of
2: people in the executive boards are white and male, and that's kind of who they run around, mm-hmm. that's what's comfortable for them,
3: yeah,
2: right, and again yeah. it's human nature, so it's just we you know you kind of have to have those incentives that forces them to get out of that get out of that network get out
1: yeah because yeah because and that's what i we had like a a leadership development program like it was a while ago it was before i was a manager and there was a group of us that kind of put on um, an internal event for people and i don't want to use the word click but that became my group right so outside of the people that i usually work with if i had a question or if i wanted to bounce idea off someone or if i wanted to Start something new. Like those will be the go-to people, and so I can see how that naturally goes. You know, once you get to the executive level, it's like, well, I'm still talking to these people that right. I kind of came up with. But we, I think you do need to be intentional and just kind of say, you know, I need fresh, I need fresh ideas, or I need fresh people. You know, let's let's mix it up because ultimately, I think you'll end up with a better product or results um, if, if you do that. Have, you know have people you know, but also meet new people. So um, yeah. which you know has always i think is 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 a good mix and that diversity right of thought or whatever not just people will end up with better results
0: it's so funny we were listening we just recently had to go through um some compliance training here at pros it was um unconscious bias um i believe there was one for diversity and inclusion and then sexual harassment and i remember in one of the diversity and inclusion courses um, the instructor was saying that diversity is easy. It's the inclusion part <laughs> that is the most difficult because you can have all of these diverse people, but who are you bringing to the table with you? Who you know? Who mm-hmm. are you listening to? Who are you giving the chance to actually give their opinion and to be able to speak up and create those spaces um, for them? So um, I took that one and I'm like, I have to, like you said, you have your clique of, People and it's not intentional, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're trying to exclude anyone, but now you have to be more conscious of saying, "I need to include more people. I need more people in the room and people who may not, you know, be speaking up often." Everyone has a perspective. It's just creating that space to allow them to be able to do their thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, I think um, this has been a. F- I learned so much. Me too. <laughs> Uh, I wish we could talk longer, but uh, we're going to put your recommendations, if any, in our show notes so that um, people can continue the conversation and continue to learn about the things we talked today. But we like to wrap up with the heat check. You've already given us lots of references. Is there anything else specifically you want to call out in a heat check Is something you're excited about or uh, something you want people to read or watch or...
2: Yeah, I mean, I think again, I think that you know, really, I think what I'm excited about, uh, you know, again today, you know, you could probably tell uh, is, is really, is, is really, I'm, I'm excited about Bitcoin. I'm excited about just, just crypto in general and, and the possibilities, right? Um, and I think, you know, my heat check would be everybody needs to learn about Bitcoin. Everybody, actually, let me change that. Everybody needs to own Bitcoin. Um, I, I think that it's like, like I said, it's, this is, this is the, this is the internet of money, right? In 1992, someone told you, hey, get on the internet, right? And you said, no, you know, in, you know, today you don't have a choice, right? <laughs> um, so I, I think it's the same thing is, you know, we, you have to own Bitcoin, you have to get on board the Bitcoin train. Because it's the it's the internet of value. Um, and that's sort of the in the crypto world, you know, you know, you, you have what you call the Bitcoin maximalists, and then you have the crypto guys, you know, the Bitcoin maximalists, you know, they don't like anybody else. You know, everything <laughs> everything is about Bitcoin. Um, so, but you know, and I, you know, I, I I guess I'm not I'm not I'm not super maximalist, um, at least from from what, you know, again, as I'm I'm still learning, but what i believe is that bitcoin is is going to be you know if you ask me today what crypto is going to be around 10 20 years from now all i can say is bitcoin Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: i cannot i can't speak for anything else because i don't know and the reason is just that to me bitcoin is digital gold is money um and bitcoin doesn't you know people go oh bitcoin is slow bitcoin is this bitcoin is that but bitcoin doesn't you know money doesn't need to change money is right i don't and 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 i don't want it to right i don't want my Mm -hmm. gold is you know if i had gold i don't want tomorrow it's platinum and tomorrow it's right Mm -hmm. so and at the end of the day bitcoin is code code Mm -hmm. has bugs so we want to be careful you know we want to make sure it changes slowly so that'd be my heat check is own you know own some Bitcoin, buy some Bitcoin, and just hold it.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and then, and if you want to learn about it, then do learn about it. But think of it as, hey, I'm I'm buying property. And yeah. again, I, I kind of harken back to um to Michael Saylor again because he you know he is very insightful. You know he goes, you know, so there, there's a, so so Bitcoin. There's always there's only going to be ever 21 million Bitcoin ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's in the code. Um, Uh and it's not going to change. So he says, this is like certain, it's almost like, you know, gravity, right? Uh Bitcoin is going to be only 21 million ever. Um, and he goes, this is like Manhattan in the 1800s. Uh You have cyber Manhattan and you have a chance to buy a a block, a piece of property. Uh And he says, had you bought Manhattan in 1800, you bought a block. When would have been the best time to sell it? Never. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She just held them. <laughs> right? That's you, you know, Sierra talked about generational wealth.
3: Uh-huh.
2: That's how generational wealth is built.
3: Yes. Uh-huh. Is
2: you buy property, you buy assets, and you hold them. And the one thing that I, you know, again, you know, that we, you know, as, as black people that we don't do is really building that wealth. And how do Holding you build it. the wealth? You build wealth by buying assets, not selling them. And burn against them when you need money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Monopoly. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you burn against it. You don't sell it. So yeah. that's what I say is buy Bitcoin. Don't plan to sell it. Put you know, it's gonna go. You know, Bitcoin is crazy. It can go to mm-hmm. hundred thousand, it can go down to ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Because you're not gonna sell. Okay. Just hold it and add to it. If if you can but but you know and, and and if you want to educate yourself definitely you know do that and really the crypto space because to me that is really the that's the, that's the next frontier in in technology you know for us right you know we talked about the arc you know from the the, the servers and the data centers uh-huh. Uh-huh. to today software as a service the next evolution is really going to be that we're going to the world is going to digitize uh-huh. and Is going to be decentralized or we hope (laughs) but (laughs) but but we're going to get but but if, if that works out where we have a decentralized world i think it's better for everybody and i think that where we are today there's opportunity for everybody so again own bitcoin and then just try and learn about it and if you want to do something again you know just like the internet there's many ways have gotten into the internet right you could you could have been a programmer you could have been in marketing right you know there's so many ways so it's the same thing for bitcoin right you know you know you can you want to be a developer on you know on that platform you know do you want to just you know make content about it you know all those kind of things is really you know get yourself educated but but the key thing you know for you know you know relevant to us black people is to just get a you know go get a you know this is your this is cyber manhattan
1: Go grab go your, piece. your block. Get your <laughs> piece and hold on to it.
2: You know, I don't know. I, can get, I don't know. If we can get a block at this price. <laughs> <laughs> but go get your piece. You know, <laughs> grab, you know, go grab that piece. And definitely what I want to shout out, maybe, is, you know, like I told you, you can buy um Bitcoin at, you know, you can buy 50 cents worth of Bitcoin. And the place you can do that is, is a company called Strike. Um, Strike. You know, you know Strike mm-hmm. is I think it's an awesome company. Um, it's it's being run by a young guy, you know. I think he's like 20, 28 years old. Um, but you know, I don't know if you heard about you know, Bitcoin is not a legal tender in you know in El Salvador, and it oh, wow. was and, and and Strike actually was you know that uh, Jack Malas is, is a founder mm-hmm. is a founder CEO of CL Strike. You know, he, I think he helped educate you know the president of of um of El Salvador on on really some of the benefits.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: actually today, El Salvador has a wallet has a Bitcoin wallet called Shiva mm-hmm. and 3 million, you know, so 3 million of their citizens actually are now using it, which is more than all the people that have bank accounts in El Salvador in, in less than, in, in about, it's been less than two months that they released this wallet. Oh, wow. They have more people that have all of a sudden have access to banks than all the banks combined
3: wow and today
2: you can send money to el salvador if you use strike over bitcoin for less than a penny wow. versus if you use western union how much mm-hmm. is right it so so i so I'm, i I really admire jack malas I, I like what he's doing he really want you know he's really trying to again to really use and, and this is an, an example of an application that's getting built on top of bitcoin to be able to transfer money um and really lower the barriers for people to actually be able to save money okay. and you know and to be able to actually now, when someone sends them money to keep most of it versus when you send someone money, Western Union takes their cut, the bank takes their cut and all those things happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, you know, so, so that's, you know, that's definitely, um, strike is, is one company that's doing great things. Even, you know, like two weeks ago, also Twitter released the tipping function on Twitter. Tipping? So, if you have a, so if you have an iPhone, yeah. So if you're on Twitter, if you have an iPhone, you can actually get tipped you can actually get you know people can actually give you money over twitter wow. and again that's been enabled by strike
3: oh yeah
2: so you can send someone a dollar on twitter if they again i, I have an android phone so yeah that's, that's why i was like i'm on android so, so, but it's coming you <laughs> promised that it's coming to android soon so so that's my uh that's my hot take <laughs>
3: awesome
2: that's
1: awesome it. i'm gonna go next because mine is Kind of lame today because i didn't i didn't find anything i connected with since our last episode you
0: always say yours is lame and it's but not
1: <laughs> i just want to say how much i love my apple pencil <laughs> <laughs> i'm definitely a note taker and like when i was in school i had like color coded notes and highlighters and you know reasons for everything and you just can't go into a meeting with like four pens and like in a professional world with people. You're like, what are you doing? This is the way I take my notes. Um, also, like I was having notebooks and notebooks of stuff and just kind of organizing. And so, I got this Apple Pencil maybe two, three months ago, and I was like, it's $100. Let's see how it goes. And yeah, I do not regret it. I don't want to go back to notebooks and paper. I just I just love it. I'm still trying to see like I've been using um I've been using a OneNote because that way I can sync it directly to work and I don't have to worry about sending it cuz right. I'm I'm taking the notes on my iPad which really isn't on the network, but that way I can sync it. So that's what I'm doing now. I don't know if that's where I'm going to end up but um just being able to write down Things. it helps you know as you get older yeah. it gets harder to lock things in the brain <laughs> so if I don't take notes in meetings then like 30 minutes later I'm like I, I don't remember so I have to take notes um so this is just helping me get there and be more efficient so
0: that's well, I love, maybe chance. I need to invest in an apple pencil too
1: I love it and then my, my daughter got one and of course her generation she, she had to get like you can get all kinds of cases and colors and like endpoints and nubs and she she was on like searching the internet for hours on how to like customize her apple pencil um yep (laughs) but i'm 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 too old for that i just like the pencil
2: (laughs) yeah i love it it, it's that's you know that's one thing I, i i've tried i just haven't been able to do Take notes yeah <laughs> uh, so you, you
1: I, have a good memory though no,
2: you know it, it's not as good as it used to be and it's you know it's <laughs> it's it's difficult it's definitely one of the challenges I have is just trying to you know keep track of, mm-hmm. of you know of, of what's going on especially in like in my role now where there's so many things going on and just trying to keep track of that you know I've tried you know to try take notes try and you know write things down but I is just something that I haven't been able to do. So, yeah. um, you know, but but definitely, I, I had a boss that he took notes meticulously and, you know, he would always take notes and he could always refer back to them. And, yeah. and I even tried his system and it just hasn't, hasn't well, worked. I'm on. always
1: impressed by people where we'll have kind of like a, not a high stakes meeting, but basically a meeting where a bunch of people from different departments will be in. So you definitely want to send out the notes to make sure everything was captured. And like within 15 minutes, they send out the notes. Me too. Like,
0: how did you (laughs) like the notes I take
1: are like, ooh, that was a good point, or like (laughs) illegible stuff that later takes me a while to kind of (laughs)
0: like What was I trying to tell myself here?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm always impressed with people that that can take really good notes. my notes are good for me, but they're definitely not in a state that I could just hand them to someone and be like, Here, this is this is what happened in the meeting. I have to Massage
0: them for other people. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm gonna move into my heat check. Yeah, what Um, you got going on this? I have another book this week. So, um, this is a book called Professional Troublemaker by Lovey Ajayi Jones. She's a fellow Nigerian. Also, um, Uh, I've all right go Nigerian. (laughs) (laughs) I first heard about Lovey maybe a year and a half ago. Um, She came up again, as I was scrolling social media. And as I started looking at more of her things, you know, she had done a TED talk. She always has like really good advice and things like that. And so I actually won this book that she recently released, I think earlier this year. Wow. <laughs> and I was thinking about my heat check today and I was like, oh God, what can I, what can I do? I scoured the internet. I couldn't find anything. And I was like, let me talk about professional troublemaker. And I think um, it's called the fear fighter manual. And she talks about you know, basically how she overcame her fears. She wrote her TED Talk speech, like literally on the plane ride on the way to the thing. She tried to decline it three times and they kept coming back at her um, with all these different ways to get her to do her TED Talk. And so I kind of think of us launching this podcast and the conversations that we're having, we are being professional troublemakers by having hard conversations, challenging leaders, um, on how to be, you know, more intentional about diversity and inclusion. So I wanted to include this in my heat check today, and it also reminds me of a quote from John Lewis, who um, was a U.S. House representative and an activist, and his famous quote of "Never be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble." Mm-hmm. So that's my heat check for today. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. Good, you know, good trouble is good. <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> I, I definitely make trouble. Uh, I, I I, I'm, I'm not I sure if all good, do. I'm not sure if it's good trouble, but um, so. But I, I don't think they, they haven't fired me yet. So I guess, uh, I guess I, I haven't raised it to, to unprofessional trouble. Yeah, I,
1: I can relate. It's kind of like, mm, I you know, yeah. I, like to, I like to raise my voice or step on a soapbox every now and then, and <laughs> I think people appreciate it and understand that it, you know it's from a place of. Um, continuous improvement. So I think that's good. Lafani, thank you so much. Uh, We really enjoyed having you today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, You know, I already started following you on Twitter and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the stuff you're posting on Medium and growing that. Um, And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, Go out there, learn about Bitcoin. Go out there, get yourself an AWS account, play around, see what you can do, start a business. Get some property. Get some digital gold. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> and we hope that you continue this conversation. Educate yourself on the cryptocurrency, on Bitcoin. Um, yeah. Just continue this conversation because it was a great one. I know I'm definitely gonna do some homework.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: no. Good seeing you again. It's after so long, Jenny. And uh, thanks for having me on. And nice meeting you, Sierra. And I really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Until next time. Yay.
3: Bye. Peace. (laughs)